0: This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. On November 5th, 2021 the Norris Group proudly presented our 14th annual I Survived Real Estate Charity event. Industry experts joined Bruce and Aaron Norris to discuss evolving industry trends, real estate bubbles, inflation, and opportunities emerging for real estate professionals. All proceeds from the event benefit Make-A-Wish and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We want to thank our Platinum Partners, San Diego Creative Investors Association, Wilson Investment Properties, U-Direct IRA Services. See isurvivedrealestate.com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, watch the video uninterrupted, and to connect with our speakers.
1: All right, Cornelius, you're up. Cornelius currently serves as the director of legislative affairs for the North State Building Industry Association, where he advocates for home building industry across Sacramento, uh, Northern California region. He's an adjunct professor at UC Price School of Public Policy, and he previously served as the senior director for governmental relations at uh, the Bay Area Council, a public policy organization representing the largest employers in San Francisco Bay Area. And rumor has it you had a hand in helping write SB 1069, best known for California California accessory dwelling units. So, thank you, Cornelius, for being being here. <laughs> thank
2: you so much, Aaron. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for the entire Norris group for having me for this lively discussion. Our so pleasure.
1: You got set up sort of nice. Let's just jump into what are the the top issues that builders are facing right now?
2: Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Our home builders um, can't find garage doors. Copper is in short supply that we use for our pipes. Gypsum for our wallboard is in short supply. Everything is hard to find. Um, Thank God, you know, the president has finally stepped up and really had a couple executive orders to really address the supply chain challenges, particularly at the port of LA and Long Beach. That's where 40% of the goods that enter the country come from. So got a lot of work to do, but supply chain is the biggest issue for us right now. Also, lumber. The price of lumber has skyrocketed. I mean, you thought of your, your junior high shop class, you, you played with scrap wood, but that's valuable today. Um, lumber has gone up on average nationally 25%. Um, some estimates that it's added about $30,000 to the price of a home um, nationally. So, lumber supply chain challenges also, you know, it's been an issue for a long time, but exacerbated during COVID 19, just the workforce development in terms of the, the trades that we need for the home building industry. Plumbers, carpenters, and the like.
1: You don't always get a heads up either. I think that's the most concerning thing. Um, you're working on a house and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, surprise, yeah, appliances, 60 months to 2 year, hope you don't need a microwave. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> so, and the timing when you're building is really important. Um, so I've heard that smaller builders in certain markets are having a really hard time, especially as these things are increasing in price with things like, you know, Things getting stolen. They have things land at the wrong time. It's sitting on site. They're too long. It gets stolen, increases the cost. Um, in Florida, there are some builders that are canceling contracts. And they said, you will know the price when we finish building the home, when we finish building the home in a year. So they're not even giving the price anymore. A consumer can't go to them and put a house in contract. They're just not selling it anymore until they're finished.
2: Same in our market. And the North State BIA represent home builders from Sacramento to the Oregon border. Um, And we're closely with our state association, the California Building Industry Association. That same thing is impacting our market as well. It's supply chain, supply chain, supply chain.
1: (laughs) I reading, I'm presenting uh, next week at the Orange County Real Estate Investors Association. I'm reading through these 30 plus bills that have just passed. I was, it was interesting to see that for the most part, our industry, uh, CAR, the CBIA, everybody in our industry, as far as associations, were very supportive. Um, the cities were not. <laughs> uh, they're not very happy that they've lost control. So let's talk a little bit about the things that just passed. So SB9 and SB10 have gotten the most press. Can you t- talk a little bit about those?
2: Absolutely. SB9 is actually a bill from the, the, the president pro tem of the state Senate, Tony Atkins. It allows for duplexes and lot splits, Um, that bill technically would have passed last year, but just through some political shenanigans at the last night of the session, uh, they didn't take it up in the assembly. So that bill's finally passed. Um, To your point earlier, it's still unknown how the mortgage industry is going to react to that. I think there's a lot of lawyers trying to figure that out. Um, SB10, that bill's actually been around for a long time. That's kind of the third iteration of that bill. Um, That bill just allows for more upzoning next to transit and job rich areas by Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco. Interesting to note, the local and state relationship is actually broken right now. Um, The local governments have taken such a hard stance on, on approvals, delaying the land use approval process, planning commission, design review commission, city council meetings, that the state government said housing is now a statewide concern. We need to step in and all through legislation to really hold cities accountable to make sure they're meeting their housing goals so actually just this week the attorney general um created a housing uh, strike force and with the the governor recently has boosted up a housing enforcement unit at the department of housing and community development so Uh we've been all joking in sacramento it's going to be like law and order. People get badges and they go after the city. They lock up the mayor or the planning commissioner now. Um, but yeah, they're really holding cities. They're the foot to the fire and say, hey, you need to produce your housing. There's obviously a lot of cities I will remain nameless, but who just aren't pro-housing. And that's a problem.
1: When I was reviewing the RENA numbers for the housing allotments for all the different cities, that's re- really changed. So the the housing that every city has to build has slightly changed a little bit. Everyone's got to produce their fair share. Um, is anybody meeting those goals?
2: No. Um, I always call it arena suggestion. There hasn't really <laughs> any teeth to that until recently. You know, the governor now sent a letter to Huntington Beach. The AG might sue some cities. You know, technically, the state could withhold transportation and other grants from cities that don't meet their, their arena uh, obligation and goals. And, and actually, the state could come in and take away their use authority. But that's very rare and very seldom um, that would ever happen. Well, yeah, it's new laws now. SB 828 by Senator Scott Weiner a couple of years ago, really rejiggered some of those numbers and added more teeth to the arena numbers. And we are so behind in housing production in our state. It's a supply and demand issue. If you talk to most voters, most people in the state of California, what's the biggest issue? Housing. And why are we in this issue and this problem? Because we have limited supply to meet the demand. We only achieve about 80,000 units annually. Um, Most economists and demographers say we need to hit about 180 annually. So yeah, we have a lot of work to do and we need to reduce the regulatory barriers to producing more housing so the private sector can get in there and do what it does best.
1: Accessory dwelling units were very exciting for me. Um, I I guess the question about SB9 for me right away, I'm not very excited about it because it's owner occupied, number one. It has to be on an owner occupied lot. And number two, it doesn't have the same teeth as the ADU laws had. So if you're building an ADU, the local jurisdiction has 60 days to return your permit. Um, That is not the case with SB9. Um, Do you think like ADU laws, we'll see some different iterations cleaning up some of that and maybe making it more investor friendly?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think you'll probably see another another bunch of bills next year to really hit at this. One thing to know that I loved about the ADU bill that I helped draft and lobby in 2016 is that now it lets the homeowner become a mini home builder. So now they can really understand what it means to pay impact fees, what it means to build something. So now, you know, folks are now becoming more YIMBY, more pro-housing. Because they say, wait a second, I put an ADU in my backyard. It took me X number of days to go through the city process. I had to get signed off from all these other departments. Um, so it's, it's creating a mentality and a, an a, and a, and a ethos of pro-housing and, and becoming a mini builder, which I think is a good thing for our state. And so folks can understand what we go through in our industry as home builders.
1: One last question before we move on to Casey. Casey, I have not forgot about you. <laughs> um, the National Association of Home Builders just came out and said that the average cost of government uh, cost to new construction on average is ninety seven thousand dollars per house.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> that's crazy town. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what to say. That's it's sort of stunning. And <laughs> how do we fix that?
2: Absolutely, do what Sean does.
1: build crappy houses
2: (laughs) i think the vast majority of folks don't understand that a lot of the costs are in local government impact fees um when you build a house you pay for roads sewers schools library parks trails transportation all these impact fees unfortunately in our state in prop 13 uh, local governments are looking for other sources of revenue and they it's on the back of home builders now Um, In the Sacramento market, the BIH did a study. uh, The average cost for fees is $95,000. In Riverside is about $55,000. In the Central Valley, it is $55,000 as well. Our friends to the East in Phoenix and in in Las Vegas, they pay 20 to $30,000 in fees, significantly less. Um, Our business, the home building industry, um, when you say, "Hey, I'm a home builder," local government said, "Do all these things, pay all these fees." If you say, "Hey, I'm opening a lemonade stand," people jump up and down. We have all these society problems of, of transportation, housing, school construction, etc. But it shouldn't be on the back of, of new homes. It should be societal problems. It should be spread out through a whole society. It should help address these concerns. Not new home builders. We need to build new housing. Uh, that's a win-win for the community. Not doing anything to reduce that.
1: Okay. Thank you, Cornelius. And and we'll come back. I have other questions, but Casey's just been waiting so patiently and I'm so sorry. Casey, how do you say your last name? I'm sorry. Ricker. It is Ricker. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was Riker or Ricker, but Casey yeah. serves as Senior Vice President of Rilogy Product, a position aimed at setting the strategy and direction of Rilogy's portfolio of agent, broker, and consumer products across all its brands. Prior to this position, uh, she spent more than 20 years as part of Coldwell Banker. She has more than 20 years of marketing and communications experience, so welcome to the party. Um, talk a little bit about what product, well, let's start with Relogy. Um, What are some of the brands that are under Rilogy that people might not understand?
3: We have a total of six brands. We have Cobble Banker, we have Sotheby's, Better Homes and Gardens, ERA, um, oh my goodness, Century 21, <laughs> and Corcoran <laughs> for a second. <laughs> Don't worry, I, I remember all my friends. Yes, all, all six of those.
1: What are the benefits of having multiple brands under a, a parent brand like that in the same market?
3: For us, it's been really important because we're really starting to use the impact of what we call one realogy. So we're actually able to get some economies of scale by actually leveraging some of the talent. Like my organization previously was within just Cobalt banker, um, and we've actually been able to merge our groups and now be able to support all of the brands um, on a larger scale. So it's it's really been helpful. Um, where we what we what we like to say is really have brand where it matters most in the brands, but then where we have opportunities to really create innovation, like within our organization, we can actually do that and put more resources to move faster.
1: So if you were to hop from brand to brand, would the operational experience start to, is it starting to look very similar as far as technology and product is is concerned?
3: No, I always whenever I'm sharing with our within our group, but I really like to liken us to a the layers of a cake. We're really focused on kind of the foundational elements or some of the commodities that you that are just the cost of running a business. When you think about transaction experience, you think about the marketing experience, but then when you start to really get into what matters most for a brand, that's really the icing on the cake. Um, and within each of our brands, they have their own unique differentiators, and we support that as well. But those are very unique to those brands and important to them and, and um, competing within the marketplace.
1: Okay. Um, what are some of the things that agents are demanding the most from your team right now? What are you working on?
3: Oh, goodness. Uh, So we've actually just introduced our full strategy. So I I joined this part of the organization within the last six months, and we've been building out our one-year, three-year, and five-year product strategy and talked with a lot of agents, a lot of brokers. And in that time, really the, the key areas that they're looking for is improving the full journey of the real estate experience. Um, what we've found, I think when you and I spoke and what I was sharing with you, what we found is that the real estate industry has really historically focused on moments in time. They, they see a problem, they go after it, they try to solve that problem. And what we've learned in our research is that that's created a very disparate set of solutions, a lack of integrations. I think Jim you, uh, Jim shared earlier his, the point about the lack of integrations. That's very much plaguing our industry. And, and so what, we've, what we're setting out to do um, with work that's been going on for a while, but I think we're really bringing it full circle now, is really looking at the full journey from purchase through ownership, through sale, and just really keeping both the agent and the consumer at the center of that uh, in a continuous loop. And too often right now what's happening is that we lose the consumer. We, we see them at the purchase, we see them at the sale, but the reality is is 95% of our home ownership life cycle is really in that, that home ownership period. And we intend to lose them um, until we get them back into that loop. So we're gonna keep them, that's our focus.
1: So we have to do a better job with those email newsletters. Is that what you're saying?
3: <laughs> Well, I think it's, um, I think it's really about it. I love the point that um, I think it was Jim who made it earlier uh, about AI and machine learning because that's really where, where we're heavily investing is is in the data enablement. And really leveraging the data to understand where consumers are, where our agents are, and delivering relevant content to them. Um, I'm a perfect example. You said, uh, you shared, I've I've been in the industry 22 years. I literally just sold my house in the last couple of weeks. Um, And I, here I am in the industry and I needed an agent. Um, And I bought my house 20 years ago and I thought to myself, you know, I don't have an agent how scary is that? I've been in this industry that long and I don't have an agent. And I thought, you know, it, I'm a classic example of, I, I use my agent and then we lost touch and it's been years and years and years. And what if, what if we were actually trickling these homeowners with information staying connected letting them know when a good when it's a good time to refi when it's a good time for them to invest additional dollars into their home how to do so all of those different ways we can actually use machine learning to stay connected to them so not necessarily just newsletters newsletters are a way but we actually want to be able to deliver relevant important content to them at the moments that matter most
1: interesting um, one of the things that I loved about joining Property Radar, is understanding some of the demographic information uh, information and the the moments in time that you're talking about when somebody has a kid or when somebody dies or gets divorced and, you know, how creepy do you get? Like, oh, so sorry, you got divorced. You want to sell your house? (laughs) Maybe not, but (laughs) you could. And uh, are are realtors ready for that journey with you? Are they willing to learn how to get more tech savvy and to micro market like that? I mean, it can get pretty specific.
3: Absolutely. Um, I, I think, I think more than anything, consumers are ready. And that means agents need to be ready. And, the, and I think, as we were talking about agents and brokers, particularly over the six month, last six months, there's a real drive and a desire to do better. Um, someone mentioned earlier that, um, you know, innovation is really designed to save money. But I, I think I would argue that it was, it's also really to improve service and that's really what we're trying to do is is yeah of course there's an opportunity to leverage innovation to improve to to save money but it's also for us to actually improve service to our customers um and that that for us that's agents that's brokers but it's also consumers
1: okay. zillow's made all the headlines this week.
3: I knew this one was coming <laughs> you knew it was
1: coming cuz you guys have your own product realsure we tell tell the audience what realsure is in case they haven't run across it
3: Sure. share for us is, is uh, a relationship between Realogy and Home Partners of America, and it is our iBuying program.
1: Okay. Has How has that been received by your agents?
3: The, um, huge, in a huge way. In fact, I'm uh, not sure how close you are to Realogy, but Ryan Schneider announced our Q3 earnings last week, was sharing with uh, investors and um, certainly announced the, the details that we would continue to invest in real sure in, in a rather large way. In fact, he's accelerating our, our, um, our focus in real, on real sure through the end of this year um, as a way for us to really differentiate ourselves. So interesting news from obviously Zillow this week, um, really clear that that doesn't change our strategy. Um, we're going to continue to go after this market.
1: Sean set up a really cool interview for the podcast that we do for Property Radar. Um, in July, we <laughs> interviewed the former CEO of Zillow, who, of course, launched their iBuyer program. And he oh. thought that was so much fun that he decided to bring OfferPad public a couple weeks after we did that interview with him in July. So I, my mind is still blown. I'm, I'm not <laughs> understanding exactly what's going on. I think there's a place for iBuying. I'm there's just some things I'm just not understanding about the what's going on but anyway so your your agents like having this tool as 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 part of their toolbox and consumers are liking it are they leaning more towards this current market going for a standard listing do you have any data on that
3: I, I don't have the data offhand, and, uh, but I, what I will say is, is we're seeing growth in this area. I think I shared with the story with you with um, with Simon Chen, who's who's been on the show before. I think he's actually been a part of this panel, uh, and he actually was selling his home and went through the process of looking at it from an iBuyer buyer perspective, and then also traditionally selling. Um, and um, and it was interesting because he got so many different offers, but he said all of them were running about 15% under market and what he ultimately got. And they were all very competitive in that place. And so for him, it wasn't a place where real sure was, uh, it wasn't a market that we were yet in real share, but um, he's, he shared that it's in the markets that he's been in. It, it's been a struggle um, for, from the, from that perspective. At the same time, we're seeing a lot of growth. Um, there's, there's certain key markets where we see real sure growing um, for us. Uh, RealShare is more is not just about the eye buying process, but we also have a program called Real Vitalize, um, and so our, and Real Vitalize is really designed to improve the the. Um, the seller's home before they sell. So for us, this is really looking at the, as I shared the full consumer and the full transaction, not just looking at one point in time. I think maybe that could be a place where they fell down. Um, It's looking at just one point in time. We're looking at this across the entire transaction and really what services can we help sellers and buyers at those moments.
1: Last question for you, Gen Z, are they, Forcing any changes in the the realtor industry that we should know about.
3: Uh, absolutely, I mean, no question. Um, in fact, <laughs> I was on a, um, a, I was on a panel earlier this week um, with a group of agents in New York City, and uh, they were in there. They were in their upper years, <laughs> um, but they were saying that all of their, their clients were in the Gen Z arena. And how were they going to adjust their, their marketing strategies? What's worked for them for sometimes 30? There was one agent who had 45 years in the industry, very, very top agent, but she said, you know what, my, my my strategy isn't working anymore and I need help and how am I going to reach them in this, in this more digital arena? Um, and it's not enough just to send the e- emails email marketing is is a piece of the puzzle, but as we know, we're all hitting delete. The the moment we wake up, we're all hitting delete from those marketing emails. So how are they going to to stand out online? And that's a combination for us of of that that machine learning and how we're going to use that data to deliver that relevant content, keep our agents at the center of the transaction and hitting the consumers at those moments. Um, Obviously social media is going to play a huge piece of that puzzle, Um, but, uh, that's, that's a really big part of our strategy right now is to help
0: bridge that gap. Awesome. We'd also like to thank our gold sponsors, Inland Empire Board of Real Estate, Keller Williams Corona, Keystone CPA Inc., Las Prices Escrow, Lavis Tax Wealth Management, Norcal RIA, NSDREI, Pasadena Phoebe, Realty 411, and Think Realty Magazine. See com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, watch the video uninterrupted, and to connect with our speakers. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with The Norris Group, check out TheNorrisGroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit TNGTrustDeeds.com.
1: The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to the thenorrisgroup.com and click the Hard Money tab.